0: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. And with me, of course, is Rob Hirschfeld. Uh, good afternoon, Rob.
1: Hello, Stephen. Good afternoon.
0: It's been a while since we've uh, recorded with some guests, and uh, I'm very excited about the guest we have today. I mean, he may be, could we say he's the most famous person we've had on the podcast?
1: The other people on the podcast might disagree with you, but you can say that.
0: <laughs> well, I i am just I am just
1: uh, he's I'm looking. Most, he's not the most egoed person we have had on the podcast
0: Okay, but, well
1: But very, very, certainly one of the smartest
0: Well, I mean, what a history So we have uh, Derek Collison oh, I'm sorry, Derek, say it again Collison Coll- We have Derek Collison with us And Derek, I, you know, I always When we have guests on, look at their LinkedIn To kind of say what they do But you have so many things you're doing here and, and an amazing background in history. I'm not sure where to even start. So why don't you go ahead and <laughs> introduce yourself and your investor in so many different things? I, I, it would take me too long to go through them all. But I do see that you were the founder and CEO of Sarah, which I'm familiar with. And it looks like you' have a founder and CEO of a, a new company, Sanadia. is that am I saying that right? Exactly. Yes, I did pretty good. Well, uh, Derek, welcome to the podcast. And if you can kind of give a brief introduction uh, about yourself to our listeners, and then we'll jump in. There's a whole lot of topics I know Rob has waiting for you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great to be here. Thank you guys for, for having me. I'm sure I'm the most famous people uh, person that uh, people don't know, um, so to speak, uh, to, to play off of your guys' comments. Um I like that with the most I've in the industry, Yeah, I've been around in the industry for um, coming up on 30 years. Uh, I feel like a young, uh, you know, 30 years. But started my career in the early 90s and was immediately kind of thrown into distributed systems. And we take these for granted today, meaning things scale out horizontally. Um, but at the time in the 90s, it was more of a spend more money and, and vertically scale, right? Get a faster computer. And so, uh, believe it or not, in the early 90s, I felt like I was left out of the cool kids table, um, you know, uh, at my first job out of uh, university. Um, but it was an interesting and, and very serendipitous uh, chance that I was kind of thrown into this um, world of distributed assisting, which essentially would become and define kind of my career. Um, so I, I came to California in 1992. I had enough of the East Coast growing up there and, and wanted to be a West Coaster um, and quickly got pulled into a company called Technicron, which became TIBCO. And uh, the reason for that was is that I kept trying to do uh, what I was supposed to do out of college and kept getting thrown into distributed systems. And Tipco was starting to change the way Wall Street worked and the way stocks were distributed uh, to traders um, in terms of like a radio a metaphor instead of a telephone call, where I call everybody, uh, you know, one by one. Uh, I spent 12 years there. Uh, I was um, very deeply invested in the messaging um, products there, right? Uh, kind of the way things can communicate, so to speak. Um, was participating in things like JMS and multicast and pretty good multicast. Architected the modern version of Rendezvous, designed and architected Tibco's EMS, which for the audience is a kind of a precursor to uh, something that looks like Kafka, and believe it or not, it is still running around the world twenty some years later, uh, quite a lot actually. Um, so it was extremely fortunate. Spent over a decade there. When I left there, I got even more fortunate. And went to a company that was still fairly new at the time called Google. <laughs> so I was introduced to a, a new version of distributed computing and uh, platform technologies, which when I joined, was called Babysitter and then turned into the Borg. Um, spent about six and a half, almost seven years there, created the developer AJAX APIs, the uh, developer CDN for JavaScript, popular JavaScript things, Gmail pictures. Um, it was a wonderful environment, and it really challenged me to always um, look at my own biases and, and figure out, you know, is my assumption still holding? And, and I've figured out as I've gotten older that a lot of times you know, they change and then you have to continually question yourself there. So after that, you know, went to a company, uh, VMware, which was being run by Paul Moritz at the time. And he said, do something that's not virtualization or management of virtualization. Do something interesting. And uh, at the time, Heroku and a little bit of Google App Engine, although I didn't work on it or, or was involved with it when at Google, were starting to take off as a very simple way to deploy apps, right? Um and so I created something called Cloud Foundry, which was kind of the enterprise version of Heroku, meaning it had Java and other languages, Ruby, Python, Node.js is one I threw in, real database, things like that. Um, Cloud Foundry still exists today. And I think it was an interesting transition that we went from PaaS back to kind of um, automated, you know, infrastructure as a service uh, or, you know, lower level with Kubernetes, uh, you know, with a quick stop through OpenShift. Uh, and I think you're going to see that pendulum kind of swing back, right? As people go, okay, this is great. We have this, but it's not really what we want, right? We want something uh, different. Um, so I realized what I did wrong with, with Cloud Foundry and created the company, Wapsera, which you are familiar with, you said. Um, and a good mutual friend of ours, Mark Teely was uh, involved with. We were very fortunate to have him with us. Uh, to essentially correct what I thought I had messed up. Um, And the the whole time, um, there was this technology underneath the covers that I had designed originally for Cloud Foundry to do telemetry, sensing, and command and control called NATs. And that leads us to today, about two years ago, after um, AppSera was sold into Ericsson, um, I took the NATs technology and created a company to essentially try to solve the problem of, hey, we all have dial tones in our pockets. We all have, you know, the internet. Um, I think most of us on this call, all of us remember when that wasn't the case, right? Uh, You know, 94 global cellular network wasn't really there. Uh, There wasn't the internet yet. And what happened with all of the opportunities of being hyper-connected? I mean, no one could have foreseen what we're looking at today from back in, you know, 93, 94, 95. But there's no equivalent for digital system services or devices at all. That uh, a single technology, a single dial tone, right? That any uh, digital system service or device can use, connect to, it's secured by default, isolated by default, and just works everywhere. Cloud, edge, on-premise, all that fun stuff. And so that's, you know, that's a quick wrap up of, where I've been, what I've been working on, and, um, you know, you told me. I think, me I think you've built
0: everything, Derek. I'm going to give you full credit, and Rob, do you agree with me? Derek built everything, and our it's, whole future I, is based I, it's, on it's his efforts.
1: Amazing. It's definitely a, a conversation where I'm like, oh, and that was you. That's right. <laughs> um, Some people, it's,
2: get, people get angry because of, of that. Like, I, uh, you know, I have to be careful. I pause after each one to see if people leave the room. But, um, you know, I've been very fortunate. Very fortunate.
1: Well, and, and and I think you've been instrumental in something that people don't realize is a hard problem. Um, and so your expertise at your know, messaging and figuring out how distributed messaging needs to work is is a cornerstone. And what I want to do is I want to I'm glad you did the, the long background because. All of these technologies, right? Even going back to you know, including Borg in that and Tibco, there, there's an element here that I want to I want to pull apart because of messaging, right? This Cloud Foundry for people who don't realize um, Cloud Foundry the, the, the secret of Cloud Foundry's operation was the messaging component and, and understanding how you had to keep the systems in the in the platform connected. Um, yeah. That was the magic. Um, yeah. And, then, and, and, and things well, around that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think what for, for the audience, I think, um, you know, these type of things, distributed systems, resilient distributed systems that you can truly stretch. By the way, the current crop of distributed systems do not stretch. And I can explain that more. Um, mostly comes mm-hmm. from experience and scars on, on my back, to be honest with you. It's not it's not as much an IQ thing as people would think. Um, there's a lot of things that feel intuitive that just aren't when you truly look at trying to make a very resilient uh, distributed system. Um, either people will revert back and have a single point of control um, or they will make a, a bias, an assumption bias that um, most people say they don't, but they do, which is, oh, we must be close together and have a fairly, you know, short RTT, round-trip time, between us. Um, and I would say the crop of distributed systems out there today, pretty much everyone suffers from this. They cannot be stretched. They have right. to you know, run in a certain data center, and they, they are assuming these biases are, are in place. And, you know, even even the poster child right now, uh, Kubernetes, right, You know the founder said, yeah, don't stretch it. Keep, you know, run more of them
1: and run, you know, smaller ones in, in a, a given uh, data center. So a lot of people, yeah, assume that we're just going to smear, create a single Kubernetes, Kubernetes Kubernetes cluster uh, just all across the data centers. And I watched this happen because we do a lot of edge work. And we're, I, I definitely want to talk to this because, right, this is the place where people are like, oh, I can just sort of smear my control plane across, you know, and, and then it'll be a, it'll be fine. You, you just talk about stretching. Why, why is this not a linear stretch problem? How, how is it, you know, how's it, where does it break?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, the Kubernetes architecture, for the most part, does two of the biases that I was talking about. One is it really puts, um, you know, a single, although they say it's distributed and etcd can distribute state, but it's a single, you know, um, the whole world state in one place that is polled and, and you know,
1: updated and things like that. Right, which and then, is, which and is Raft, and Raft relies on quick decision making, right?
2: Raft um, again assumes uh, again it's maybe not a a on the surface bias, but uh, it is a bias in Raft that yeah we're pretty close together. We can heartbeat you know a thousand times a second if we need type stuff. Um, so yeah, so you know at least in my opinion what I've what I've seen is is that a lot of the the pendulum swings, always swing too far one way, and then you know back the other way, and then eventually they kind of come to the middle. Um, deployment infrastructure, deployment tooling—I think we're we're in that oscillation phase. But I really believe we've we've quickly moved from cloud economy or what I call you know a, a you know how do we deploy units of of work economy. Most people would say yeah we moved to a data economy. I would argue we've moved on from a data economy to a connectivity economy? How do we connect all of these things together? I mean, that's if you look at someone's brain, that's what actually enables what we think is so amazing about the brain. It's how it's all connected, not the actual just cells and things like that. And I believe that we're there, but we're still looking in the rearview mirror and paying attention to uh, still the cloud economy, right? How do we deploy these things and the uh, data economy, right? How do we Event enable and, and data enable all of the things that we're doing, uh, which I actually think is a good phase to be in. I think it's a great phase. I think we're doing it backwards. We we need to ask the question: Hey, if we could just be hyper connected like the web, what would that enable?
1: You know. Um, so, but wait a second, because you're you're describing hyper connected, and I, I I like your classifications here, but that's hyper connected is not the same as. You know, low latency. Yeah, I want to. I want to break those pieces apart because even though I might have a ton of cell phones and and I am a hyper connected person, my distance to the things that I'm connected to is wildly different.
2: Yeah, that's of course that that makes sense. Um, and and I think you're seeing where those things hit a threshold that is not. Um, Pleasing to a consumer, (laughs) that uh, things are moving closer to you, right? And so you see this with the iPhone and the Android ecosystems, where the hardware now has lots of specialized chips. I think the the Pixel Four just said we can do you know um, translation, language translation, or sorry, speech to text uh, translation on the device now. We don't have to go back to the cloud. So that that's going to happen no matter what. But it doesn't matter about hyperconductivity in my opinion. So for example. What I think the world should have is a hyper digital dial tone that says, hey, I can actually not only communicate, but store state, and it just works. But again, if you hit that threshold where you go, this doesn't feel right. It feels too far away, right? It's, it's taking too long for me to say, save this key uh, with this value. That the system, all it has to do is just run something closer to you. The connectivity fabric doesn't have to change, be reconfigured, restarted. Your app doesn't have to restart. None of that has to happen. And if you notice, what I'm not talking about is, oh, as long as you deploy it in a certain deployment tooling or framework. Okay. I don't care how you deploy it. It should just the the, the fabric is kind of like you wandering between cell towers, right? The system reacts to you. And we just don't have that, you know, on the on the technology side, believe it or not.
1: We think we have such great stuff, but but we really don't. So I, I strongly agree. We, you know, in the journey that we've been having, Steve and I together with the podcast, you know, what you're describing, which is data locality and and data mobility from that perspective, is is a is a super hard problem that that we have very few people who even Identify the problem, which you're doing very eloquently, and I want to keep keep going down. Let alone think they have a solution um, for it. So, I mean, what what you're describing to me, and I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding it, because because there's a messaging component here that is is an additional, and I, I want to get to that because I, I know Nats plays a, a role, or the evolution of Nats plays a role, and we we need to define Nats a little bit too. Boy, so many so many pieces, but. You know, what we're saying is is that when we're interacting in any place, and and I and we could be a person, but it could also be a machine or a sensor or a camera. It that interaction should should improve its quality of service, if you will, automatically. So I shouldn't be storing you know storing the state of that device across the globe. I should be able to expect that the the state to come as close to me as I can get. In a yep. persistent way without me having to say, "Oh, the state just migrated" or "It's not synchronized." Is is that what you're describing?
2: It is, and I just want the audience to realize I, I don't think I have all the answers, but I, I think we're, we're pushing very hard towards something that enables that. So, for example, when I was at Google, because um, we were doing Gmail Pictures, where you see the person's face, you know, and all of this stuff, mm. and Paul was still kind of leading up that that org, um, the SRE team was getting smart and saying, "Hey, we noticed that you know." Rob just flew to Europe and now he's accessing his Gmail from Europe. And it's probably crappy because all his data is in, you know, Mountain View, let's say. Um, So we should move it for him because we think he's going to be there after some period of time. Um, That being able to move wasn't automated at the time, but they could watch and see it and then manually move things. But to you, it was like, holy smokes, the second day I started using Gmail just got faster after I
1: landed in Europe. So what but I'm talking isn't that just that's just C- I mean that's uh, I mean if, if I'm that's just CDN. It's like oh, okay, who cares? You're not describing CDN. I, I know. I know this is a, a different evolution because CDN no, is super it, static, and and if there's a cache miss, nobody cares. It just takes longer. Oh, oh yeah, not yeah.
2: Well, well aware scars everywhere on that one. But um, no. What I'm what I'm trying to say is is that at, at the end of the day, in my opinion, you can qualify almost everything in terms of modern architectures that are distributed. And by the way, systems architecture is a lost art and us trying to explode (laughs) monolith all the time into thousands of microservices, just because we think that's, you know, the good thing to do um, is, is a pendulum swing problem as well. But let's say there is a need for it, right?
1: Everybody's been warned. There is no magic from, from decomposition that, No, no. You're creating problems at the same time you're solving them. Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if I say, hey, there is a dial tone that I can securely connect to and I can send messages, right? So that's the basic. It's not point to point. So it's not based on IP or host. It's a different construct, right? Uh, We call them subject-based addressing from the 90s when I was doing that. Topics, channels, whatever you want to call it. But it's not tied to a machine or a host name or anything like that. And I can do two patterns. It's it's only two patterns that I need to do. One is a service type pattern, which is I ask a question, I get an answer. All right, that's all HTTP, microservices, all the stuff. Ninety percent of distributed systems are still that pattern. And I'm not saying it's synchronous or asynchronous. I'm just saying that's the pattern. You're asking a question, you're trying to get an answer. Or it's a stream, right? It's an event stream. It's a uh, you know telemetry, sensor data, whatever that is. Um, once you do that, I would argue that. You know, just like the way computers work and computer chips communicate, they're just trading messages. That I can just send a message to say store this key value. Now I can send another message saying give it back to me, right? And so whether it's stateful or not, it, it gets um, the semantics obviously matter at the the application level and the system level. But from a hyper connectivity standpoint, it's just messages. We're just hyper efficient at doing it, which Everyone would always argue, Derek, you're you're so into performance. Nobody wants to send, you know, twenty million or eighty million messages a second. What happened though was, and they're right, but what happened was, is as we moved from capex to opex, I said that eighty million messages a second that you only send, let's say four hundred thousand, is probably ninety times cheaper to run in the cloud than a different technology, right? So now it's relevant. It's like, hey, I don't have to. S- s- why do you care so deeply about? all these crazy performance things. And I go, well, think of it more as efficiency and how much you're going to pay to do this, right. To get everything kind of connected that way. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, you know, I agree with caching and, and state and stuff like that, but what we're looking at is how do we solve the problem where, you know, I can ask a question and get an answer and I have no clue where, The back end is, I don't know, you know, could be different languages, different deployments, different cloud providers, one's on the edge, one's in my house, one's, you know, in my car. It doesn't matter. I just think providing that that base platform technology, that that dial tone is a key to opening up a lot of that stuff. And what we care deeply about was that security, you know, secure by default, isolated by default.
1: So, so you're using the word dial tone, and I want to make sure that that I'm understanding the way you use it. Um, and, and and probably a, a, a significant number of people might not remember dial tone. Uh, but the yeah. idea, the idea with dial tone, uh, to me is that you pick it up, you ask for a connection to something, and you get that connection, and it's consistent, reliable, secure and fast right you don't there's there's no the, the nice thing about the dial tone is you you say you, you pick up a phone and you get a connection to where you want to go and it works and it's a consistent reliable way to do it you know exactly what you have to do to initiate the connection you know exactly how do you have to address that request and you have no idea about the switching network in between it's point right. to you it's, have, it's I mean, point
2: to point I mean, yeah you can do it from anywhere and so yeah for the audience that's a lot younger than I am totally fine but you know, when I was growing up, you would pick up the phone and you'd wait to hear the ding, meaning you are connected to the the telephony network, right? It was all hard lines at the time, uh, to use a matrix term. Um, and then you would dial the number, which was essentially your routing to, let's say I was trying to call you, Rob, you know. Um, we we term that now as a the digital dial tone for all the world's digital system service and devices, meaning there is a single URL that any application can just say, I want to connect to the NATS global system. And that's all you need. You need, well, sorry, you need a URL and then you need a file that has your credentials and, and the, your, your Aussie authentic stuff. But otherwise, you know, and it's, if I wanted to talk to you, I could, even if you were in Google and Asia and I'm on AWS and Oregon and you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so, so
1: this is, this is something different because like I remember Nats and it was a, you know, very low, and, you know overhead i don't think you needed an intermediary to communicate it's it's a basically this it's very lightweight very fast inter-system protocol what you're describing to me is not nats it's um it's a message cloud or it's a it's a nats fabric I don't, is it is yeah. that is this something new additional from a nats perspective so there was a couple things so it is still
2: nats nats can just send and receive messages and you can do Service-based interactions, right? Request-reply, or just publish and subscribe, stream and event stream, or something. Um, where where we started two years ago with the base technology, and that's is almost ten years old. I mean, it's being used in some of the most critical, high-production, you know, environments, known, um, you know, nuclear factories, all kinds of crazy stuff. And they just run it for two years straight, and it never goes down. It just works, which is part of our philosophy. We believe in that. Um, but when we started and we said, hey, we want, you know, this, this global fabric, if you want to call it that, right, available on edge, on premise, any cloud provider, and it just works and we're always connected. Um, we had to do a, a couple main things. Um, one was we had to figure out how to truly make something multi-tenant. Most technologies today are not. Um, I'm not talking about Google or Facebook, but I'm talking about the tools we might use to build a distributed system. Like They're corporate. not. That's right.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
2: Um, and it's it's it, it was it was something that we had to take to heart and do it right, which was all the way at the low level core bowels of the system. But we did um, secure by default, no private keys, passwords in the system. It has to be federated, and then of course that stretching thing. So even that's, you know, two years ago, now uh, you could run clusters of servers that formed like you know uh, a Nats. Uh, Cluster, obviously, but they suffered from the same stretch bias that everything else does. And we knew that. I knew that. And so we had to design. uh, We designed two new network topologies that um, are based on, you know, the team has, I think, over 100 years of experience in this kind of stuff. And uh, us just learning, you know, what to do and how to do it. So we designed and uh, patented two different networking technologies that allow you to make super clusters. So clusters of clusters. And then so let's say we have this running, you can also then have your cake and eat it, too, with another networking technology we have, which says, I'm going to run my own server and have it transparently, securely connect to NGS. But I'm going to talk to my local one here for super high speed, low latency, whatever requirements you might have, meaning you can extend. It's like you extending the global cellular network by running your own cell tower right in your backyard. We promote that. We want you to do that. Um, And we also want the system to be federated. Right now we run all the world servers uh, for the, the system, but we don't want it to be like that or think it's gonna be like that, right? We'll see, I think cloud providers say, oh, we'll run you know the, the servers for that um, in, in our cloud. Edge would be a different thing, mobile so, providers, you know, so.
1: So you're not, and this is to me the, the interesting distinction. In this, what you're saying is if you provide additional compute resources or state store resources, then you can use the the fabric to find one that's closer to where you need to be. You're not embedding the container, you know, some some platform component into the system to handle it for you. Is it because right, right. Now, I've, talked to, I've talked to companies who are like, oh, yeah, we're building this giant container you know, containerized fabric system and we'll move containers around for you. What you're really doing is you're building the network. And then we're you're saying, look, we're not going to try and move things for you. There's there's a lot of the dependency graph on that becomes just insane. Right. So we're
2: we're so I spent a lot of time building deployment technologies. Obviously, <laughs> um, with Cloud Foundry and AppSera combined, I think it was about eight years of of, of my career on that. Um, I still think that area is interesting and has a lot of. Um, a lot more room to grow and change there, but I am more about the connectivity part. So I don't care how you deploy it, it doesn't matter. You can deploy an application with any technology you want on any cloud, on your desktop, on your phone, and it will connect and it will be part of a global network. Um, now, what we do provide though is is again, that connectivity and the routing of messages, kind of like think about like switches and routers, you know, that exist everywhere in data centers. We're doing the same thing, meaning we can actually probably be, you know, our people call it a broker, but it's not. Um, But it is, you know, something that you talk to. This can start to just run in the top of rack switch. Right. And then we will be right now. We run at about 50 gigabits. uh, So we can do about 50 gigabits. Um, We probably can't get over that yet, but I know how we can get over that. Um, So we'll look into that, obviously, with now the 100 gig coming out in the cloud providers. But that switching framework of, hey, where am I routing this message? One of the patterns that Nats has always had is, hey, I can dynamically just form a group. All three of us can listen on a subject, let's say foo, but we're going to be part of you know, the edge gravity group, meaning that the system will automatically just select one of us for each message. And what we did with, with NGS with these super clusters is, is that we have now preference in the system that's automatic that will prefer a local Responder if it's a queue group, but you could have them spread all around the world. And if they fail locally, we'll automatically fail over to the closest RTT cluster that we can find. But your apps, matter of fact, apps from eight years ago that were written for testing some stuff and cloud founder type stuff still work today. You don't need, you know, we
1: didn't because, because you've been because the logic here is moving into the service router, not in the, not in the protocol of the net. Right. That's no, components, which is super yeah, powerful that, a that I designed 10 years ago, which is kind of wild. And this this makes well. And one of the things when you were talking about TIBCO that I was thinking, I'm like, people underestimate how sticky protocols are, especially communi- intercommunication protocols. It is incredibly hard to change an intercommunication protocol um, and hats off to the people who design them because, you, you know, you, you, you got to get it right. Very hard to tweak on that um yeah
2: it depends on the surface area so for example if you look at the application and let's say it's doing http requests to you know something and getting a response back and synchronous right we can convert that to a all nats application in probably 20 minutes you know it's it's trivial for us to to do those types of things um we just did a uh, extremely large gaming company, uh, large global, four regions, two different clouds. Um, it took us a day and a half to not only deploy the system, but roll three of their apps completely onto it. And so, with what, what, Nats, we want it to be extremely simple. It's it's a it's a fundamental technology, kind of just like the network, right? You got the green light, you know, you're connected somehow. Um, that's how we want people to think about it. But it's a new way of thinking about it. It's not a silo technology. Uh, you know, you're not going to run 10 of them and no one can talk to each other type stuff. You're not even going to worry about running it. Although people run it, I think right now our Docker image, the official, whatever, whatever they call that, I think we're getting up to 90 million downloads for that thing. Um, and it just runs it, you know, it doesn't f- fail, it fail, just runs type stuff. And so as people start to take it for granted and it just works, that's kind of what we're trying to promote. And we we don't know all the stuff people are going to do with it, but we do know that all of these silos. So even if, let's say, a company goes, hey, we really like this cool new thing called Kafka. Every inbound customer to us does the exact same thing. They do a POC, takes them longer than they thought. They get Stockholm syndrome, right, and say, well, we've got to make it work now because it took us three months to get it done. And then they have six POCs going. Then someone raises their hand and says, hey, we should just run one big cluster and everyone should just share. And that obviously doesn't work, right? And so being in the business so long, I, I, I'm getting where I think I see the problems that we're eventually going to hit. I just don't know when we're going to hit them. But that's what we're betting on, that eventually people will be like, hey, no, we just want a, a way for everything to communicate, a base, bow fabric, whatever you want to call it, just like plugging in a network cable. And... I can deploy two applications anywhere in the world, any deployment, you know, OpenShift, VM, Docker, Kubernetes, any cloud, edge, on premise. And they can say, Hey, we are, you know, going to, we're going to talk to each other. We're secure by default. We're isolated by default, but the multi-tenancy system in NATS is, um, once you have an account in NATS, every user inside of the account by default can talk to one another. And then you have to securely um, and bi-directionally, by the way, say, "Ooh, I want to talk to or exchange messages with another account. And it's back to that streams and services thing. So you export a stream or a service and the other person says, I want to import it. I need permission from that account owner. And now all of a sudden they bring it into their account uh, subject space anywhere they want so they can pick where it shows up. So you've got this, essentially a sandbox for messaging, containers for messaging is essentially what our, our multi-tenancy system turned out to be. And a lot of companies now are saying, oh, we have an account for every microservice. So they're isolated by default and everything they import is their dependency list and everything they export then is their UX. That's what their, their API is.
1: So there's a couple of things that I want to I tease apart. And I know Stephen's starting to give me the stink eye. So... Let me let me try and ask these these simply. Um, boy, one of, one of them is just to confirm something you said. You you chose to let the applications be smart about placement, um, which I think makes a ton of sense. Asking applications, you know, application developers the logic. Well, actually, is- I didn't say that. So what I said was is that
2: the the system as a whole, we will route messages and give data that is. Can be looked at and decisions can be made to say, oh, we need to move this responder closer to Rob. Sure. But I
1: guess guess my my point on that is that we're we're looking, what we're saying is if I'm writing an application, each application knows its footprint, right? You're making it trivial for me to say, okay, I'm going to distribute this globally into data centers all over the place and then put in an algorithm that lets me route traffic to the closest. And you have some things that make that easier. But the application developer is aware of that. Is aware of those, that topology. You're just reducing the friction of the interconnect. That's the way I would describe. Uh, it. Actually, okay. So no, I, the,
2: the app the app developer in the app, in my opinion, should not be aware of aware of things like security or deployment topologies. Any of that. They simply have a job that says, if you ask me a question, I'll give you an answer. I know how to make the answer out of this question, or I'm just supposed to be sending off, you know, data or event streams, whatever that is. Um, The common one, which is I respond to requests. You ask me a question, I'll tell you the answer. The app just knows how to do that. Doesn't understand anything about security. Doesn't understand how requests get routed to it. Doesn't understand any of that. But the the NAT system, irregardless of deployment, will surface enough data that you can watch if you want to say, "Ooh, I need to move this responder over here. I need to do this with the requester. I need more responders. And, you know, I treat them like cattle, not pets. I just start more of them or I, I take them out, you know, types but,
1: but you're not, but you're not, you're, Nats and, and the system you've built isn't making a decision to spin up more responders. You're, no. right, you're, the, you're the transit. And that's, and that's sort of what I'm, this is, to me, this is where. We I mean, get information that allows you to make
2: that decision transparently. So we have that. I guess, service mesh like quality where you can say, I want to sample 50% of the requests going to this service, which could be global anywhere, you know, um, and you you tell me what's going on. But it's, it's, it's not, again, that bias where everything thinks it's close together, right? Service mesh and, and all the stuff where it says, oh, the latency for this service took blank. Actually, there's three points of view to every single request response idiom, right? Which is from the point of the requester, from the point of the responder, and then what's in between. And we actually give you all three transparently and instantaneously. So in other words, we'll say, oh, Derek took this long, you know, he's this RTT from the NAT system, the global system, um, his version of the world is it took two milliseconds. Rob thought he flipped around and, you know, one millisecond, and there was one millisecond in transit because they're on opposite sides of the globe. The, the technologies really don't understand that, right? They go, no, there's just one viewpoint of what a service latency is, and that's, that's just
1: wrong. I, I, I think that's a very powerful statement, especially for our listeners who care about edge. What you just described, should everybody should have sat up and said, ah, now I see how I'm going to make a decision about placement or problem or things like that. Because as soon as the round-trip time crosses certain thresholds, Systems start to fail, right? You can't get consensus. You can't. The data is not cached well. And you start having you know expensive data transfers. There's there's all sorts of things, and I'm, I'm not gonna. I don't want us to. I I, I want to put a period in that because I want to I want to go on. But the, here's the thing that, that I think you know. Listening to you and and you've been you know, we we've, we've said Kubernetes a couple of times, but it's worth noting. There's magic in these in these platforms, and, and Cloud Foundry was the same had the same type of thing where it makes a decision about placement of workload for you and then it tracks where that is and it connects it together but you are 100 percent dependent on the infrastructure that's built under it and this is why we've been adding service meshes on top to compensate for that which is complex but you are dependent on the service fabric the service platform under you to know where it's spun up that workload and then direct traffic to it appropriately and what you're describing no. eliminates that? Yeah, we
2: don't, we don't need, you don't need any of that with with Nats. Um but you do need it to say I, I'm running it here now. I want to move it. Um, we don't do any of that, right? But we'll 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 connect it instantaneously, totally transparently, securely, isolate it, um, and then we'll also give you the data that would you could use, right, to say, "Ooh, I might want to move this this service because." Um, uh, you know, the service latencies are getting too high. All the requests are coming from Asia and the you know, responders are all in, in North America. You know, that kind of stuff.
1: I, I think that's or a yeah. really smart, smart compromise because the cost in complexity of the Kubernetes componentry to drive that. And then the restrictions in it impl- in places. And I, I'm a fan of Kubernetes. These don't don't. Flame war me for thinking that I'm not, but I we have to be pragmatic about what the technology is and where its where its weaknesses are and where its strengths are. But what you know, it's it's made a whole bunch of decisions, and to do that, it's had to lock down networking to a large extent, and and you know that's the benefit. Yeah, so for example,
2: if perfect. if the, if the audience is is you know using Kubernetes and they they all of a sudden probably have multiple um, you know clusters, right? Trying to figure out what only works inside of each cluster and then how to connect applications that are in different clusters is very painful. And we just don't think it should be. And for us, it's not, you know, multiple Kubernetes clusters. It's you can just deploy these things any way you want. It just works. And so we take a lot of that pain away when you do have to say, well, we've got one Kubernetes cluster on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, but now how do they talk? And that's a whole, you know, thing of oh, well, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, um, and we just don't think that that's necessary. You shouldn't have to do all that stuff. It should just, you know, you should get onto what the responder is actually doing for your business, you know, that to making your business or or your organization better.
0: So, Derek, this is uh, Stephen coming in, and uh, as I told you before we started, that uh, at some point I'd break into Rob, and you know he promises me 31 minutes and i see 40 minutes but uh i was nice to you today rob
1: <laughs> I, I, there's no way you're gonna get to interrupt derek that's
0: no 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 i was knocked to do it but derek uh outstanding uh podcast great stuff if people are interested in catching up with you following you i don't know if you have a blog or anything like that uh where should they go look for you
2: uh, yeah, on, on Twitter, Derek Collison, uh, all one word, but if you just Google Derek space Nets.io, you'll, you'll see all the, the fun links, uh, that'll, that'll show up. Uh, so, and we have a great Slack channel. Welcome to join it. It's, it's free, but there's, uh, about 1500 plus people in it now and some great conversations. Uh, and we sit on it all the time.
0: Great. And for our listeners, we did a Rob, we did a Nats podcast. Has it been maybe a year, year and a half or something like that? That we had done. So I'm going to go back and look for that and add that link uh, to information about about this podcast. Well, Derek, thanks again for joining us. I appreciate it, Rob. Uh, thanks for all the great questions. And we'll see uh, both of you soon. Thank you.